what keeps you going in those moments when you're like, yeah, everybody's better than me. And I don't know if I'm going to get better. Some people just drive. Yeah. They just keep going. Yeah. Some people want to be there just because they want to be there. But what kept yeah. you going in sport? Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying 100%. I don't think most people do like want to stay in something that they don't prove to be good at early. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it was my probably my parents. Like my parents always pushed and they always were motivating of me. And like if I wanted to do anything, they were always behind me. And for me, it was it was strictly like we say football for sure. Football was love. Like I grew up loving football since I was probably like, I don't know, seven years old. My parents always watch NFL and was always a fan of basketball as well. So for football, for sure, it was drive. For volleyball, it like kind of that second, that second sport that I also enjoyed doing, but it wasn't anything other than just liking to play. Like there was nothing else to it. And I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to stay in it. And I know for you, you played football too. You know how hard it is to play football. Football is an absolute grind. And just that motivation to just keep playing no matter what. I didn't care about being a good player. I just cared about playing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick, and today we are going to talk to somebody who has played indoor at the highest level and has had little tastes of beach volleyball along the way. Uh, he has his own coaching company. It seems, if you look at his Instagram, it seems like he's coaching almost nonstop. And he's one of our nation's top athletes. And it's going to be interesting to talk, I think, about what it's like to try to get into beach as a high-level indoor player, to, to hear about the differences and his experience in going both routes, because he's got height, he's got jump, he's got ball control, he's got all the tools you need to be a great indoor or beach player. And he has also done all of his, I guess we'll say, you know, he's done his rounds in the coaching world as well. So this is going to be somewhere that we can talk to and we can learn a lot from, from the beach side, from the indoor side, from the experience side, from the coaching side, from the club side, from the international side. I'm actually really excited about this talk. So our guest today, he's got experience playing overseas, he's played in over 10 different countries. He's coached with multiple club teams and he's earned top five finishes in the Junior Olympics, JOs. And we're going to have some real rare experience that I can't wait to pull from. So I would love for you guys to take a deep dive with us and listen to this conversation and get a lot out of it. Let's welcome our guest, KJ Christopher Johnson. What's going on, man? What's going on, Mark? How's it going? Better at Beach Fam. How you guys doing? And thanks for having me, man. Yeah, definitely do. I want to dive kind of right into where you started, when you started volleyball, and what were you playing first? Were you playing indoor? Were you playing beach? That's a good question. I actually started playing indoor i probably picked up a volleyball first time in uh eighth grade there was like open gym volleyball and i didn't actually even play i literally just walked in the gym kind of picked up a volleyball and i was like oh this is cool ended up going into ninth grade and trying out for the ninth grade team in high school and ended up making the team and I guess the rest is history. I kept playing for 15, 16 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? So for me, I played one one year of high school, my junior year of high school. And I think one of them, this, this might sound weird, but one of the main reasons that I got into volleyball was the coach, the high school coach. First of all, he was a gym teacher. He was one of the cool teachers. We got along really oh, well no. before that. But he, he played music in the gym. None of the other oh, teams... Nice 
played like music, but he had music going nonstop. So it looked <laughs> like practices were fun, you know? And I was yeah. like, man, I kind of want to be in that vibe. So yeah. ended up trying out and making it. But for you, what was the first attraction to volleyball? Personally, I just, I was still searching for, I guess how you could say it, my sport. So I had grown up, I had tried baseball. I had tried a little bit of basketball. I had played football. I had done track. I had done a bunch of sports when I was in middle school before I had even gotten to high school. And I was like, I'm just going to do something that I'm kind of interested in. And then I'm going to see where that takes me, you know? So that was basically it. I was like, this is my next sport. And it was just something that I really wanted to try and see what happens and ended up volleyball during high school, almost the entire four years. There wasn't like any any moment or any feeling i mean like i played baseball and football so compared to a bunch of other high school athletes i probably had a good arm right and yeah. i went into the gym and i messed around with the volleyball guys and i yeah. hit a few and i mashed the back wall like i yeah. detonated and it just <laughs> boom and all the kids on the team were like sick dude you hit so hard and my coach yeah. is like this kid's an idiot like it's gotta go yeah. in you know <laughs> that doesn't matter court, man you can't just hit the ball the wall <laughs> But like all the guys um, on the team, they, they were telling me, like, you know, so that gave me confidence because they're like, yo, you can hit. And I, I said, all right, cool. You know, yeah. I, and so I think that gave me confidence to keep going. But did you ever have a yeah. feeling in the sport or like an interaction with an individual that pulled you? To be honest, like I was somebody who was never really good at sport. And so yeah. the only reason like I was in sports was because I love sports overall. Like, I really like going to practice. I like training. Um, I like trying to get better. And there wasn't like a turning point. Like, I didn't, I didn't really start to get those turning points that you're talking about until I got in college. I was, Late bloomer. I was just somebody. Yeah, I was super. I am probably one of the latest bloomers that you've ever met. And like, I didn't have those like turning points until I got to college. So everything in high school is just like, just playing because I really enjoyed playing sports. Like there wasn't anything else to it. I was not extraordinary at anything. I wasn't good at anything. Like I wasn't a good player. Were you the not good player that, that pro athletes talk about when they say not good player? Like, were you still above average, you know, instead of just excellent? Cause you know, I consider when I tell the story, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I wasn't a great athlete. I, I didn't jump high. But when I compared myself to almost everybody else, there were yeah. like four athletes on each team that were probably yeah. better than me, you yeah. know? So I consider myself now like, nah, I wasn't one of the best, but I yeah. was one of the above average guys. Were yeah. you one of the above average guys or were you down? No, there? I was down. So I'm telling <laughs> you right now. So like volleyball as a freshman, I played, but I was the worst player. I didn't have any skill. I was probably one of the worst players. Even going through JV, even being in varsity, like I was, I was told I wasn't going to be a starter. I was one of the worst guys on the team. I would always work hard. I would never quit. And it was the same on the football team. Like I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't the starter. Like I was coming in off the bench. I was like the sixth or seventh receiver on the roster. Like truthfully, I was either the worst player or I was just above the worst player, like my entire high school career. And that's why most of the time people like have no idea of who I am or who I was as I came up through high school. Like I was literally like the bottom player. What made you keep going? You know, a lot of people when they don't, when they're, 
they're getting dogged or it's not, I don't know, you don't feel that confidence. What keeps you going in those moments when you're like, yeah, everybody's better than me. And I don't know if I'm going to get better. Some people just drive. Yeah. They just keep going. Yeah. Some people want to be there just because they want to be there. But what kept yeah. you going in sport? And I, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying 100%. I don't think most people do like want to stay in something that they don't prove to be good at early. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it was my, probably my parents, like my parents always pushed and they always were motivating of me and like if i wanted to do anything they were always behind me and for me it was it was strictly like we say football for sure football was love like i grew up loving football since i was probably like i don't know seven years old my parents always watch nfl and was always a fan of basketball as well so for football for sure it was drive for volleyball it like kind of that second that second sport that i also enjoyed doing but it wasn't it wasn't anything other than just liking to play like there was nothing else to it and i was like if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it so i'm gonna stay in it and i know for you you played football too you know how hard it is to play football football is an absolute grind and just that motivation to just keep playing no matter what i didn't care about being a good player i just cared about playing isn't that don't you find that like because you coach a lot right you run a lot of, of private yeah. lessons uh your website's it's chrisjohnson.com sure. right yeah christopher a johnson.com puts everything in but cool. Yeah, I do a lot of lessons so, on coaching now. Doesn't it kind of blow your mind? Because I, I feel like I'm the same way where I didn't play. I played sports to play sports. Like it was just yeah. fun. It was just what you want to do. And then once yeah. you're in it, you're like, well, if I want to get good, I got I to gotta work hard. But for I sure. volunteered for every single one. And my parents, they were always just, okay, you know, like my, I'm yeah. blessed with great parents. <laughs> they they drove me wherever I wanted to drive. I pick up a new sport and like, all right, hop in the minivan. You know, like, right, let's go. Let's um, do it. <laughs> But I feel like so many players, I don't, maybe I'm being too tough on juniors, but they're not playing yeah. just because they raised their hand and said, please let me go to this. Let me join this. What are you finding in, in the juniors world and in your private lessons? Are you finding that they're placed there by parents or are they the ones that are showing up and saying like, I want to be here just because I want to be here? I would say it's split. Maybe it's, I don't know, 40, 60, 60, 40 or something like that of like, Kids 100% want to be there, and then others are kind of pushed by their parents to be excellent or to just be in sports in general. And like you said, we just played because we really wanted to play. And then if we wanted to get better, we knew we had to work harder in order to do that. Now I think it's um, the athletes are probably more just involved in social media, and they kind of just do sports as like a side thing. Hmm. And so you don't – I haven't really seen a bunch of athletes who kind of have that grit. That's like, no, I'm going to stay in it and I'm going to push hard and I'm going to continue to improve, even though I'm not the best athlete on the court. And then I think the other side is like a lot of athletes want to just give it to them. They're like, I just I want to be the starter. So the coaches start me. You know, I always wonder if like here, here's one of my theories. I think a lot of the higher level athletes stick with the sport longer. They develop a, a passionate yep. relationship with it and they end up being coaches because they love it so much. But that love was like lifelong, you know, so they were the guys who were the guys and girls who were working hard and who were you know, spending the extra hours. And because of that, they did develop a closeness with the with the sport. And I wonder because you always hear coaches talking about like athletes these days. You know, were maybe all the coaches, all the ones saying that were the, you know, 5% of athletes that were always yeah. passionate, always pushing themselves. So maybe yeah. it always existed, but the people who are, yeah. who have the microphone 
are the ones that were always the ones giving it all anyway. I think also I think there's two sides of that as well. There's the there's the side where you had the naturally uh, gifted athletes who were the early athletes. They were usually better than most. And then mm-hmm. it makes it very easy to kind of fuel the drive to be better. And then there's oh. the other side of the athletes that weren't as good, but they decided to grind to see how far they could push not being naturally as talented in the sport, you know? That's interesting. Yeah, because if you're good at it right away, you're just going to be kind of attracted to it. Yeah, you know? it's easy to stay. It's easy and to so stay when you got a starting role off the bat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I train a lot of athletes like that who were who are already good or they were they're on the cusp of like right before they're about to be really good. And I remember not being that athlete for five or six years. Like most of my life, I wasn't that guy. <laughs> so I see both sides, you know? Do you think any one of them works harder? Like do you, if you had to put a, a stat on it, do you think that the ones who are gifted early and recognize that they're gifted early or everybody else's, do you think that they're putting in more work? Or do you see that the guys who are, are riding the edge, like the middle athletes who could be good if they pushed extra are they working harder or showing up more do you notice any differences like that i think that there's a lower percentage of athletes who are actually gifted and good who are trying to put in that extra time i usually see the athletes who are on the cusp putting in more work so i mean that's just the way that i see it i can't i can't quantify it in in like percentages but i definitely think that if you're already gifted I don't think you're putting in as much work, but I do have a few athletes who are doing that though. Like yeah. who are gifted and are also grinding hard, you know, it's a tough line to ride and trying to figure <laughs> out how to, well, because it's a good coach, right? You got to motivate, you got to motivate people in different ways. You, the great coaches, I was just watching some movie last night. I, I forget what movie, but they talked about, you know, Oh, you always have to find an angle. So sometimes yeah. a great coach has to be completely silent to get through to somebody. Sometimes they have to scream to get through to somebody. But the word was that there's always, oh, it's that that Uber docudrama, the one with the coach from oh, Friday Night yeah. Lights and uh, Joseph, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But as a CEO, yeah. he says there's always an angle. Not, hey, you got to yell at people. Not, you have to be silent with people and let them do their thing, but the angle. Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting to find the different angles that you need for every different, not even different type of athlete, but every different athlete. Everyone. <laughs> every athlete is completely different. That's one of the things that I've noticed, either about coaching teams or about coaching one-on-one. Some athletes, like you actually got to get down on them in order for them to, to actually push. There are other athletes that you can't say that much to them. You just need to say a few things and then they'll turn. But Mm -hmm. every single athlete on your team is different and you got to find a way to communicate to get the best out of them, for sure. More individual. As a club coach, did you, here's what I went through. I don't know if you went through the same thing, but I went through this probably confident arrogance, whatever you want to call it, where I was like, I know a lot more than them. This is going to be my yeah. system. If you don't fit into my system, it's not going to work. Later, I stopped that. I stopped the Bobby Knight nonsense, uh, you know, of like, you got to subscribe to my <laughs> to my stuff. And I was like, listen, to if I'm going to get through to, 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 to maximize, I'm going to have certain things that I allow, certain things that I don't allow. But I can't just act my way all the time. If I'm going to be a true leader, I, I have to figure out what each segment on my team needs. 
did you go through that mental process? Cause I went through it and it was, it was weird, but I don't know if everybody goes through it. Yeah. I think I've mostly, I've mostly been assisting, but I've been, I've been head coaches at times. And I don't think my one way was always the one way I saw so many different athletes and also the way that they play. And so I think that's what like helps me with private coaching is I'm actually coaching you from literally where you are and the way that so if we're talking about a certain skill, I'm always looking at, okay, well, do you do this thing that I may not like with that skill, but does it work? Mm. And if it works, there's a low chance that I'm going to try to fix it or critique it that much. But if you do something in a certain way and it's your way, it's different than my way and it doesn't work, then I'm probably going to push more to make a change so we can get a better result. Got it. So it's kind of like, I try talks about this with the Brazilian coaches where he's just, yeah. Brazilian is reps and feeling. Mm -hmm. And a, yeah. a few of the Brazilian coaches have, have said like, we don't change something until it stops working or it presents like a cap, you know, like yeah. once it's limiting, that's when we'll discuss it. But until then, if you can feel the right thing and make it go to the right yeah. place, they say that they don't comment on it. And that's why we get like people who like yeah. with their forearm grip, you know, they'll open <laughs> one hand and keep, keep the other one. That's why like April Ross has that giant stomp approach and, and people yeah. have all different weird, Phil's got a goofy foot approach, right? And you, yeah. you say like, hey, we should change that. But the dude's siding out at 800, so why? You don't touch it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't freaking touch it, man. Yeah. And, that's, and that I totally agree with that. I've, I've seen a bunch of different things I've seen. I've seen people stand up like when they pass or people finish weird with their hands when they set, but the ball isn't spinning and it's going to the right place, you know? So I don't really try to touch too much of what's working, even if it's not textbook, because you can look mm -hmm. at any sport and see a lot of people do a lot of weird techniques. I don't know if you watch basketball, but the way Sean Marion used to shoot or the way other basketball players shoot, it's so weird but they get the ball to go in the basket. So you're like, you're going to change their shot release, even though they're shooting 40% from beyond the arc. Like, I don't like to change what works. I will change it if it's not working to make it more traditional. Like each okay. player, I'm always watching that stuff. Did you have anything, any like kinks like that in your game where people were like, hey man, you should change this. And, and either you fought against it or you did change it. I think I changed like the way that I was approaching to the ball. So like there were times I didn't use my arms enough when I had approached the ball. And so I did actually need to make that adjustment because it did like allow me to jump higher. It allowed me to be di more dynamic when I would hit the ball. So like my approach, when I'm throwing my arms back, I actually did a lot of work in changing that. Hmm. Um, and then changing the way that I served as well. I just wanted to have a more consistent serve. And the, the critiques that the coaches gave me did actually work. I pushed against a lot of my coaches because I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, I'm naturally individual in the way that like I, like I see things in the way that I work, but hmm. it's very hard personally for me to change if there's not enough evidence or explanation behind why the changing is happening. Uh, you're that type. You're like the cerebral athlete. Like, yeah. give me the why and I'll go and yeah. do it instead of some, yeah. some athletes are just like straight up soldiers where it's like, what do I need yeah. to do? Done. Okay. And they'll go okay. bang their yeah. head against the wall for 10 minutes. And it's like, <laughs> am I, am I good yet? Good? 10 more minutes. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, were you that same way or was it, was it different for you? Uh, I, I need a lot of why, but I, I was always kind of interested in learning. So yeah. 
any, I feel like for me, anytime a coach gave me a correction, I was like, thank you. You know, I craved it. I don't know why, but I I never thought I was doing anything right. You know, I was like, I do feel slower. I do feel like I should jump higher, hit harder or be better. I always felt like my game was lacking. So I was like, dude, if you're going to pay attention to me enough to fix something, that's me getting a private lesson. I never had a private lesson as a kid. I'm trying to think if I ever got a private lesson, you know, before being like before individuals in college and individuals, not even a private lesson. You're still there with three or four people. I'm pretty sure I have never as a kid under 18, never had a private lesson, which is kind of bonkers. To be completely honest, like I didn't either. Like I didn't get my first private lesson until I was like 19, 20 years old, legit. So I completely agree with you there. I did not get one, but also I, I didn't play club sports either. So I think that's Same. part of the reason why I, I yeah. played like one travel team in baseball <laughs> from little league, but that's, I mean, you're not calling that the club sports of today. There was a very different, no. different thing about club sports. No. It's, it's changed into something that I kind of think is a little dangerous and maybe not dangerous, but overboard. Like sports way too is much. Different this year. It's, yeah. it's different. It's definitely year round. Like that was one of the things where it wasn't like that for us. Like, I don't remember ever playing a sport year round. I always played multiple sports. So I never played one sport like a full year. I don't remember ever doing that. So now it's like, you'll play, you will play volleyball or basketball or whatever it is, like 11 months out of the year. You just keep going. That's wild. Like I would, okay. So I would play basketball year round, but not on a team. You know, I had three months in the fall, winter, somewhere around there. And then that was it. But like, I was going to my backyard. I was still going to all my parks and, and playing. So I, just played whatever sport I could whenever I could. And it, it, and if it turned into like, yeah. Hey, we're playing basketball today or no, we're going to go break into the little league park today so we can play football. Like, all right. Yeah. That's what we're doing. All right. Cool. <laughs> cool. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Like, and I, I feel like that's an important part that I, I think is missing more. I feel like a lot of athletes and maybe even their parents want to specialize so quickly. They want to specialize so early. And I usually tell them like, no, like go play multiple sports. Like, you want to figure out what you like, but also you want to get the cross training. You want to train in different skills so then you can use those in, in the sport that you finally decide to stick with full time. And so, have some liberty to be creative. Knowledge. Yeah. Like that's that's my big <laughs> thing is if somebody, you know, so, so let's say you get stuck with, or not stuck, maybe it's, sometimes it could be a blessing, but you get a coach who is, hey, it's my way. Hey, you have to drive this technique. Sure. Okay. They might make you have perfect technique, but yeah. when are you permitted to just explore different things be creative be stupid yeah. practice your half court like a buzzer beater shots yeah you know i i i think that's without any stats or science behind it I, that's got to be important to allow creativity and exploration yeah and i i think i would say that happens more now as uh players start to play beach volleyball more because you don't see a lot of that indoors because a lot of indoor volleyball is very controlled um by the coaches and the staff and stuff like that and i think you notice it obviously the most in in basketball because most basketball players grow up playing like street ball and stuff so there's no yeah. coach there they get to be as creative as they want they get to take the half court shot like you're saying and there's no repercussion for it they just like get to figure out if they can do it or not or if it's cool you know right like would the professor still have a youtube channel if he like if he had like all Heck standard no. moves and he wasn't able to teach people what he was doing he, it was literally yeah. all creativity no and way. making stuff up no way you make stuff up at the park and there's nobody to tell you that you can't do it you just go do whatever the heck you want you know i don't know i'm That's worried i think there are some beach 
coaches and, and club directors worried. Uh, we had Phil uh, on an episode a couple episodes ago, and yeah. he was like, we are not a club. It's the Phil Dahlhauser Beach Volleyball Academy. He goes, yeah. we teach people to play beach volleyball. We yeah. create leagues. We create classes. But we're not, we're not a club. He goes, I do not like or want the indoor club environment infiltrating beach volleyball. And it is starting to in a lot of places where it's – Parents are getting more involved. They're getting chatty. They're trying to ref. They're complaining to the refs. And it's just like, man, this is what made Beach so good because it was an escape and you could be individual. You could be unique. I'm a little stressed about about that, but it is turning out ridiculously good female beach volleyball players. Guys, we, we, oh, st we still got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's great volleyball, man. I don't know if it is whatever they call it, the, the Title Nine, where you got to like have, I guess, equality. Um, I guess it's, I don't know exactly if it's equality in numbers in sports or whatever. Equal funding dollars. Yeah. yeah. So I guess because of it's, it's hard to get like a men's beach program off the ground. I mean, it's hard enough to get men's indoor programs off the ground, which there are way more than there were like 10 years ago, which is really nice. But as far as girls volleyball, it's huge. You have girls volleyball, like at every high school, every college in the country. So there's a bunch of opportunities and now that you got beach, man, you got girls playing beach since they're like eight or nine years old and they're coming into your CBVAA tournament beating the adults. It's stupid now. Oh, so man. it's going to be it's going to be crazy once we start talking about like who's really going to be going to the Olympics because they're coming all the way from nine years old all the way through high school and the club beach and college beach. They get to go all the way through until you get to AVP. You know, yeah. so it's going to be crazy. I'm excited to see it. I know it's like there's so <laughs> many good ones and so many unique games, like unique styles yeah. of, of play. Because you got Nuss, who's five, six, and then her partner, who's six, four, close. Right. Yeah. Massive. And and they're playing a completely <laughs> different game than like uh, Kelly Clay's, uh, who's playing a, a completely 100%. different game than, than like Jace Pardon was playing. And you got yeah. all these girls who can just win in avp with completely different styles of play and sizes and shapes no and everything way. it's sick there's no one way anymore i'm it hoping that that comes that from maybe our generation of coaches that are like nah we should still explore we should still let people be individual because that's what beach is about i wonder like if yeah. in 15 years all coaches will be so systemized and hardcore like indoor has or had become yeah that's that's it's going to be interesting to see if that freedom of expression still stays in beach i hope it does i think it should i i want yeah i definitely want there to be to be more freedom because i've already like just to see now beach evolve like everybody is now jump hand setting which is completely changing the game you know that's a yeah. completely different thing that wasn't even on the table before it was hard enough to step in and hand set now they're like no we're gonna jump hand set we can hit it, we can set it, we open up the net for everybody. Just that type of creativity has changed the game massively, and I'm excited to see more of it. I think that's going to change the international game, but also it makes us super competitive as a country. Oh, yeah. And I wonder what rules <laughs> are going to end up changing or being altered. You know, like, like now you like we'll the hand that. setting, which has been a little ridiculous, especially since they don't involve oh, the players in any of the discussions. Like, no. hey, should we change the hand setting rules? At least ask the players, hey, 
Do you think we yeah. should change the hand setting rules? Like, who are you? Why are we making all these decisions without any involvement of the player committee and, and, and say, yeah. nobody's saying like, no, we have to completely revolutionize the way we call handsets. No player yeah. that I've talked to has ever said that. So I why did it happen yeah. this year? And I feel like it's, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's completely subjective the way that they call hands. And yeah. I feel like you get, if you go and talk to reps, you'll just get completely different answers, which is always like one of the most frustrating parts for me when it came to trying to learn how to hand set. I'm like, okay, well, what, what exactly are you looking for? Are you looking for multiple things? And I got multiple answers from different reps, which is highly frustrating. That's a weird, <laughs> so weird subjective way. Yeah. Super subjective. I wonder if so. basketball went through that with, with dribbling, like for sure it did. You know, the first time somebody kind of like palm, palm the side of the ball, everybody's like, what was that? Yeah. You know, and now it's yeah. like <laughs> they're holding it for three steps and then bouncing it. But you yeah, do whatever you want. <laughs> you do whatever you want now. Pretty much. The, your, your caliber of player decides what they'll call. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the most interesting. That's also very subjective as well. It's like your regular player will get called for everything and your really mm. amazing player won't get called for very much. That's the funny part about playing amateur <laughs> and pro tournaments. Like we're playing on the yeah. AVP and then we'll go to Wapaka or Pottstown. Yeah. And everybody's like, God, yeah. that's a double. That's crazy. And you're like, I haven't been called for a set in, in five tournaments. Like that yeah, is, you literally. guys are calling a, a way different game than the national tour is calling. And it's like tougher to 100%. set in local tournaments than yeah. it is on the AVP. <laughs> 100%. And that, I mean, that's the tough part. It's like, I think, I think with the, with the beach game, we're mostly, mostly you get ref by your peers, which means yeah. they can kind of call anything. And then obviously once you get to higher level, you get to higher level AVP um, or international ball. I don't know if P1440 is still doing their thing, but you get into the stuff where there's actual refs, the higher level, yeah, you get more consistency. But for the most part, you get rest by the people that you play against. So they call a lot of random things. Man, even at like, we have um, the only self-rest sport. We, we run uh, online classes for our camp. So we have a complete player program yeah. and we have two film meetings a week. So all the players, they show yeah. me what they did that weekend, their tournaments their practices or any drills that I gave them. And we do these film reviews and we're still talking, no matter how many videos I make on Instagram or on YouTube, people are still talking about like, are you allowed to overset? Like, how long can you hold a set? And it, it drives me insane. <laughs> I'm like, how many videos do I need to make to, to explain these rules yeah. and to get tournament directors all on the same page? Like, why can't same we all be page. playing by the yeah, same rule book? Right. Oh, because no, it is the place that we have. Differently. Yeah. And then a tournament director or a facility owner, they're going to make a different rule set because it'll just be easier for everybody. And it's like, well, now yeah. you're just changing the rules to the sport. And sure, it might yeah. be easier, but everybody's just grossly confused. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anybody who's 100% sure about the hand setting rules. And then, it's, <laughs> yeah, and then it's complete. Yeah, so you know, and then it's completely subjective based on the way that you actually set the ball. So everybody, the way everybody sets is different. So the way you call their hands is different from somebody else's. And then, I mean, we're talking about hold, we're talking about finish, and we're talking about spin, which mm -hmm. is like a completely different conversation, you know? Worst part of our sport. And my, exactly. for everybody out there, if you're refing, if you don't have a miniature vomit in your mouth because of the handset that you saw, just don't call it. Like yeah. it has to make you so like, ooh, 
and immediately want to say that was bad. If you have to yeah. like tip your head from side to side and think about it, stay out of it. It's better to Don't be the it. one that doesn't call everybody than deciding these little marginal lines of, of where yeah. you're going to call. And then now as a ref, as a player ref, you're involved in the outcome of the game. And yeah. so as a rule, everybody just if it doesn't make you throw up in your mouth, just don't, do don't blow the whistle. Stay out of don't it. it. Oh, it's not worth it, especially if you're ref in my games. Because yeah, <laughs> I'll let that. you know exactly that. Less is always more. Like when I remember playing a lot of beach, and I'm like, man, I'm not really calling that much hands. Like it's got to be really bad for me to be like, yeah, that was for sure a double or a lift. I'm like, I, I don't remember calling more than a few a match or something like that I yeah didn't didn't want to didn't need to you know it, i put my brim like so low i'm just like yeah <laughs> unless i hear yeah. like four people shout like oh then i'll be like yeah. probably a double i don't know i, I wasn't yeah, watching I'm, I'm not sure yeah and i want <laughs> like i want like from your point of view like is there for sure a number on that like hey how many times the ball rotates like no nah, i can't can't call on that like and that's has, what i mean you can't look at the ball after it comes out. Yeah. You have to be watching the hand contact. So like you shouldn't be yeah. following the ball as a ref. You should be yeah. looking at the person's hands who are about to set. And if you don't see them hit it two different times or completely separately, then you don't call it. But like and the that, spin afterwards, be like, oh, it had three and a half spins, you know. So obviously, no, you cannot and should not call it on that. And that's the funny part. I actually played. I don't know if you've been to the Vancouver Open up in Canada. Still haven't. It's oh, kind man, of a bucket list. Get there. That was one of the funnest tournaments I went to, but that was probably the most consistent repping I've ever received on my playing beach. Super nice. consistent. Like when I spoke to most of the refs, all of them were like, "We just want to see your hands come out clean," and they were not worried about the spin. And most of the refs that I've actually dealt with would definitely call the spin, even if it came out. Clean. So. <laughs> Yeah, that was the frustrating part. But in that Vancouver Open, like those refs were super consistent when I played. I got just a, a little kind of ad for something. We're not even selling it. But guys, if yeah. you're interested in seeing how well you know the rules uh, and you're listening or you're watching, it's on the screen right now. But if you're listening, if you head on over to betteratbeach.com forward slash rules quiz, betteratbeach.com forward slash rules quiz, there's a bunch of questions that we've taken sort of from the rule book, but we make it so that you, it's like you're talking in conversation and you can test your knowledge, beach volleyball rules, go to betteratbeach.com forward slash rules quiz. It's a free quiz. I made it so that we can help people and stop these like absurd discussions and stop all the requests for videos that we've already made. So go ahead, betteratbeach.com forward slash rules quiz and test your knowledge of some pretty intricate uh, volleyball rules and actually how to call and ref a game. So rules quiz at betterbeach.com. Check it out. Uh, KJ, I want to switch from a, from a setting discussion, which I didn't know we'd get into, to <laughs> I want to hear about your path coming out of high school, into college, then the various national teams and the various uh, indoor pro teams. So coming out of high school, okay. let, let's start there. You played okay. a couple of years in college. How did that go? How'd that come about? Okay. So I'll run you through high school real quick. So it's like understandable of my path. Um, just like I said before, I played football and volleyball, played three years football, four years volleyball, played freshman team, uh, two years JV, one year varsity, didn't actually end up starting. Oh, you really varsity, weren't good. So yeah. 
I wasn't good. I told you. You're like, not lying. A joke. <laughs> yeah, like this isn't a joke. Like not at all. Like I wasn't. I was like one of the worst players, or I, maybe I was just above um one of the worst players. So I got a lot of opportunities from my coach in high school, and he he kept plugging away, let me stay in. And like I said, I never played club volleyball ever. So I wasn't club and then high school. But yeah, I didn't play. I didn't start until towards the end of my um year in varsity. I played a lot on JV and freshman, and I was not recruited out of high school. Um, by anybody. Um, I just, my high school coach knew the head coach at Long Beach City College. I'm mm. born and raised in Long Beach. So, so you're 6'11 right now. Is that right? I'm 6'9. 6'9. 6'11 on a college on a college or a pro roster. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Six uh, eleven. They like to scoop some. Food. It's funny. Like uh, when I started playing beach, I started making myself shorter. You know, like at my college, I was like, yeah, I might be six four. Like every time I beat somebody new on the beach, I'm like six yeah. one, six foot and a half, yeah. five eleven. Defender style. Defender That's style. right. Just rub it in their face. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be smaller than you and still win. How tall were you your high school coming out of high school? Because if you're six eleven coming out of high school, like, shouldn't everybody just be jumping over the bleachers to get you on their team? Yeah. And so, and like I said before, I was a late bloomer. I probably walked into high school around five eight, five nine. And I grew about an inch, inch and a half a year. And I graduated at like six, two, six, three. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, you're like I Matt Anderson. Gonna... Matt Anderson was the same way. He came into college at like six, four, maybe six, five when he graduated or yeah. went to Korea. He was like six, 10. Exactly. He's, and he's, uh, he's taller than me. I played on the national team with him long enough. He's actually taller <laughs> than me. Him and, uh, Max Holder taller than me by like an inch or two they're legit yeah. like six ten guys but yeah i grew like inch inch and a half a year five eight to six three over my high school career Went okay so yeah that's school. not like amazing for I a mean, coach they're like yeah everybody's six yeah. three okay yeah i was i was a normal guy like i was average so everybody said they can't do it like go work hard but came out of high school six two six three that was actually when i had my spurt during my freshman year at long beach city college i grew from about six three to six eight whoa did everything hurt so, like were your knees just yeah. killing you yeah my knees felt like absolute crap like my knees felt horrible feet were all of a sudden off the bed like all that stuff my body was going through so many growing pains like five inches in a year but that was when wow. i hit my spurt and then everything else kind of came with it and my vertical came with it and i was able to grow into my body i was like 19 years old almost 20 and that was when i started kind of figuring things out and things started to get better super late growth spurt but all right so okay you got a spot at, at long beach city college playing and then coach yeah. All of a sudden thinks it's a jackpot after <laughs> a few months of seeing you grow three, four inches. I hit the jackpot with my coach who's super excited. Uh, the basketball coach from Lumbee City College also reached out, wanted me to come over. I was like, there's no way. Um, I quit football. I was like, I'm not conditioning anymore. I'm done with running. And so ended up redshirting my first year. I played my second year. And during my redshirt year, we won a championship, which was cool. My second year that I actually started playing, we ended up, I think, losing in the semifinals and also the same in my third year we lost in the semifinals i was i think western state conference like one of the best players those two years that i played and then during that time i played uh u21 for usa beach for two of those summers how did that happen having a lot of fun with that you know chris so chris austin he was the guy who like ended up pushing me in the beach was like hey man like, let's go play and i was like all right why not like i don't have anything to lose i got the time to do it chris was like 
huge in the beach at the time. And I was like, we could play together. Let's see what happens. And so we both actually did the USA beach. I think he was under whatever, 19s or something like that, under 20s, whatever it was. And I was U21. That was when I ended up meeting a lot of the guys who were really good in college. Connor Hughes at UC Irvine and Tony Cirelli at Long Beach, not Long Beach, at uh, USC. I met so many people guys. don't know that Sarah Hughes has a brother who's also legit at volleyball. Like, legit. Connor Hughes, the real deal. Legit, yeah. <laughs> it's a freaking athletic yeah, family so, right there. No, their whole family is huge. I know them well. And that was where I kind of met those players who were already like high level um, indoor college players. And that was before I even left columbia city college so i got that experience did cbva we won we got the triple a which was which was super fun and i think we actually got that triple a against ian satterfield your partner when we yeah. were younger and in college and we i think we beat him in a double a to get the triple so i don't think he was too happy about that yeah that was when we were young we were like 20 years old and so i did that and then I ended up getting recruited after my third year by Hawaii, Long Beach State, UC Irvine, and uh, California Baptist University. Ended up not wanting to go to Long Beach or Hawaii. Long Beach was home. I didn't want to stay home. Hawaii was on an island, didn't want to stay on an island. UC Irvine ended up not being able to make the grades. You got to have like a 4.0 to get into there. You got to be super smart. Ended up going to Cal Baptist because I knew I'd be able to play. And I really liked the school. So I went there and then ended up playing that year. Um, was one of the best players in the country, one of the best middles. I think I had probably one of the highest percentage, top five hitting percentages in the country that year Damn. as a middle. And that was really fun. And uh, I ended up getting injured my redshirt senior year. So that's my fifth year in college. I got injured, injured my back really badly and couldn't play for nine months. Dude, we have the same similar yeah, story. I, I was out for three quarters of my season, my my super senior year, and it was nothing hurt more. Yeah. I was like, this is not supposed to happen this year. Like, come on. It's terrible. You're like, I'm supposed to go out, like, playing my best ball so I can do whatever I want afterward. It was a rough year. I was contemplating retiring because my back was really bad. And um, I ended up being able to kind of deal with it and get my back better. Um, and I got lucky. They gave me a medical hardship year. I wasn't expecting to get that year back, but they gave me a six year. So I had a red shirt year and a medical <laughs> hardship year. Came That's back, great. came back my senior, my super, so super duper senior year. Super duper senior years in college. It's tough yeah, to leave college, man. I mean, year. I'll stay six, seven years. Since. Honestly, like when I was in college, I, was, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't want to stay anymore. But now, if I had one more year, yeah, yeah, it would be fine. But I was ready to be done with college when I when I was done. I definitely get that. That I wasn't really in a rush because like I was always paying attention to like what the situation was after college and I was like am I in a rush to get to an office job I'm trying to do like I have no problem staying in college longer you know yeah. so ended up playing that six year that medical hardship year and we probably had one of our worst years that I ever played in college we only won a few games and I was mm. super disappointed I still played good I think I was like top 10 hitting percentage, probably top 15, top 20 in block. And after my senior year, I got invited to the U.S. national team. For the people and who then, don't know how that works, like, could, could you explain the two things? When you say that you just went to the U19 or U21 beach national yeah. team tryouts, and then somebody invited you to be on the national team, can you explain for somebody who had never experienced anything like that, what, how that happened? Is it a phone call, that a text works. message, an email? Yeah. <laughs> okay. As far as the U21, U19, they actually had tryouts. Me and Chris just went to the tryouts. They were like, yeah, we have USA beach tryouts, go try out. And then they ended up 
I ended up making the team from the tryouts, the training team. So I was only on the training team for USA U21 for those two years. And then they would take two or four players for an international competition, the best players of those of that training group. And you would go overseas or wherever you go to compete in that tournament. Mm -hmm. So that was a tryout. As far as the national team, I feel like you usually just get invited. So you go and and it has a lot to do with where you play and your coach as well. So I had some coaches who had played high level and they were helpful with kind of like plugging me in like with the national team coaches. Okay. But so they're the you, college coaches are kind of talking closely with national team coaches and it should be that's, that's like the, the males yeah. in USA yeah. are, are breeding ground for national team players. 100%. So they're talking like, Hey, this guy's next level or can be, or will be. Yeah. And so also you got to prove it on the court. Like I also stepped on the court and was one of the best, one of the best offensive middles in the country. I was okay with my blocking a little bit better than okay. But as far as offensively, I felt like I was, I felt like I was almost unstoppable as a middle coming out of college and mm -hmm. my numbers proved it. So people like knew who I was. And so I actually received, I think I was supposed to go after my senior year, but I ended up getting injured that year. So I ended up playing that next year. But I just received an email from the assistant coach, I think. I think it was from Matt. Yeah. Matt Furbringer, who's who uh, is also the national team assistant coach right now. And he's uh, he runs the Zunalon Beach Volleyball Club. Oh, that's but, right. I thought I, he had Rockstar for some reason. I don't know why I thought that. It's, he's got Rockstar a beach club is too. Mizuno. Oh, Rockstar okay. is Mizuno. So Mizuno is the girls club and Rockstar is the boys branch off of Mizuno. Got it. Okay. So they're the same thing. But um. And the funny part is I actually worked with Mizuno when I was in college too. I was coaching like their little kids. So he already knew who I was. Perfect. So it worked out perfect. But yeah, I just received literally a, an email that had went to my spam. So I actually received it like a few days before. And I just so happened to go oh to my, my spam. God. And the email was in my spam. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was so <sighs> mad. Like... And it came like two days, one or two days prior. And like, I reach out to them immediately. I'm like, yes, like I can come. And so they're like, yeah, come down. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine so, finding that like oh weeks later? God, man. <laughs> I was like freaking out, man. I literally just finished my season two, probably like two days prior. But yeah, that's basically the way the process goes. You usually get invited. If you're a junior player, I think you'll get invited or you can go to a tryout because you can check like the USA website and they usually have tryouts for junior national teams. And it helps to get you into the system at a younger age. I wasn't mm. really in the system for the indoor side, but I was on the beach side. But yeah, I, right. got, I got invited. So just phone call, email, and it helps if your coaches are... I mean, I feel like almost every college coach for, for the men's team, whatever it is, the are. national team coaches have to be connected with the NCAA coaches and have to have that, that open conversation. Yeah. And I think we're yeah. one of the few, if not only country, that we... We source so many of our national teams or pro teams directly yeah. out of college. Like if you look at football, it's like, yeah, that yeah. is the minor league NFL. You know, there's there's no yeah. other thing. Canadian Football League, nah, sorry. Like <laughs> European yeah. Football League, playing for pizza. Nah. Yeah. It's college. It's yeah. college. Your coaches, your coaches know. Your coaches see you in practice. Your coaches see you in the matches. And 
they're like, yeah, this player is better than, than most players that are on our team and that we play against. You want to bring them. So, yeah, that, that basically ended up happening. And I got invited to the national team. But I was just training. I had a lot of stuff that I needed to work on. I was a really raw player, just very athletic. And basically just went through training that summer. And, uh, like, pushing through, I ended up playing professionally um, for four years. So I played pro volleyball for four years. Two of those years were in Finland. So my first year is in Finland. Um, wow. My Joyner played year. in Finland. Nice. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. What could, I played two years in Sweden, two years in Norway. Um, yeah. Joyner, Joyner played in Finland. I, I think I know somebody else who played in Finland. But yeah, there, there's some decent clubs. There's like one or two clubs in each of those countries that can compete, like not with the rest of Europe, but with some of the yeah. other top European teams. And then when you get the to Italy's, Poland's, France's, it's like, forget about it. No now. way. No way. They were the top teams. The two top teams in Finland were either uh, like Tikiti, Valipa, and Huracani. Those are like the three top teams in Finland every year. And they usually play in like a, a Challenge Cup or a CEV Cup. I don't know if yeah. you know about the Cups. Yeah, but, I uh, played in European Cup when I played in Croatia. Uh, when yeah. I went to, to Vienna. That was... Yeah. That was fun. 19 hour road trips was a little insane, you especially guys, when your you coach is like, Italy? we went from to Vienna, Austria, uh, from Croatia. Okay. And we had some, we had to go to Sylvania. We had, uh, Slovakia. Yeah. We had Bosnia, Herzegovina went there, went up to yeah. Austria and it's just like these trips. And then we had a crazy coach who I brought my guitar because <laughs> it's 19 hours each way. And he's like, what are you yeah. doing? You can't bring that. You have yeah. to focus. We're here for competition. And I was like, oh you want God, me to man. focus for the next 19 hours 19 and do what? Hours, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't get along with him too well. <laughs> I had, yeah, I know. I totally agree with that. I had some, I had some crazy coaches. My craziest coaches were definitely in Romania. My other two coaches in Finland and Portugal were pretty chill. My, one of my favorite coaches was actually in Portugal, but yeah, ended up, ended up playing Finland those two years and I play on a brand new team we actually I think we finished like seventh the first year and then we finished like fourth the second year which was completely unbelievable for a brand new like pro team to come yeah. into the league you know and then I went to Portugal and uh I think we finished like third that year and then I went to Romania we also finished third that year but we like you said like played in a bunch of different countries played I don't know Slovakia Norway, Turkey. There was just, I think we ended up going like six or seven countries. We went to so many countries just playing international. We played a, I played Challenge Cup in Portugal and Romania. Okay. So we ended up traveling around. I think we went to Bulgaria and we were all, we were always flying to a different place. I went to visit Spain. So we ended up all over the place like you did. When you think back to competing at that level for completely different cultures, completely different countries, completely different personalities, what was one thing that you took from that experience that you absolutely say no to? Like my team or when I'm a coach, I will never yeah. do this that you found out there that uh -oh. you like absolutely <laughs> hated about a culture, a personality or a coach. <laughs> I hated, I absolutely hated how emotional my coaches were. It was so annoying. My foreign coaches were so emotional and the emotional part would actually hurt our team mm. because they would blow our timeouts so fast. It drove me insane. 
I had this coach in Finland, and he was a cool guy. He was like, he was generally very calm, but in the match, very emotional. And so he would literally blow. And here's the thing: you had, did you have the timeout, commercial timeout? Did you have like that? the the technical? I think the technical timeout. I think sometimes we did. I'm trying to think back now. We had to. Yeah. Man. Most of the time, you have a technical timeout. Are you old when you? So can't that's remember? like a. <laughs> hey, it is what it is, but I I know that I feel like most teams had a technical timeout and they would call a timeout probably like, I don't know, maybe at 15 or something like that. Yeah. Whenever they call it. But my coach would consistently call both of our timeouts before we hit the technical timeout. And that drove me insane. Insane. I was like, stop. I would go to the coach and be like, stop calling timeouts. I was like, <laughs> We need these for the end of the set. And he would like, he would get so frustrated because maybe we would lose like three, four points in a row. And I was like, this is volleyball, man. It's ebbs and flows. Like this is how it goes. And like, we would, we would like come back. Like we come back going five point run or whatever. And I'm just like, he would just blow the time out. So that was one huge thing that I was like, once I'm coaching, that's not happening. Like I'm keeping my timeouts for as long as I can. I'm making my players push through those tough times where the team scores a lot of points in a row, but I'm not blowing the timeouts. Who is it? John Wooden always said that he like guaranteed that he would never be the first team to call a timeout because he was like, I will always yeah. condition my teams to the point where they never need a break before the other. And he always wanted to put the pressure or the belief. But when I read his yeah. book, he said he was he would never call the rule of his. He would never call the first time out uh, in a game. And I was I love like, that. that's interesting. I love that. <laughs> Parents would have conversations with me about that. They'd be like, you're not going to call a timeout or you wouldn't call a timeout in this situation. I was like, no. I was like, the players always play wonky in the first 10 points. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're feeling each other out. Run in the first yeah. 10 points. Yeah. You're like, not throwing any punches. You're just like seeing how people no. move. Yeah. Yeah, you're trying to figure it out. I was like, it's really gotta be like like seven out, six out mm-hmm. for me to be like, all right, I'm gonna call a timeout. But otherwise I'm like if they went on a little four or five point run in the first ten points, I'm like, you watch a lot of like junior volleyball, you'll yeah. see like some team is down like two to eight in the first ten and they come back and win. They mm-hmm. go on big service runs. So like it's very rare that I call a timeout early. All right. So blowing timeouts. What was one thing from <laughs> From culture or from personalities, teammates, team, club, organization that you absolutely want to take to your teams, your clubs, your coaching style, you as a player? Consistency. Like just staying consistent with your training. And also, if I could bring in the weight training aspect, that was huge for me. I never consistently weight train during a season until I went pro. And what? That would be one thing that I for sure want to bring in. Yeah. Didn't do it. Whoa. Didn't do it. Like, even when we played football, we would probably weight train like maybe once or twice a week in season. In volleyball, we only lifted like one time during season. In the pro season, we'd lift like two, three times in a week, every week. Some Most of the time, like it'd be three times. And that yep. was like really good for my body. Like physically, I felt amazing. And I was like, I've never done this before. So that would be one thing that I liked and I'd want to take over. You know. How did you balance for, for the best teams or your best year? How was the weight training balanced with practices? Was it, did it matter what day you were practicing, what day you're lifting? Did it 
did you always say, how's your body feeling and then change your lifting for that? Or were you like Kobe where it's like, no, like I made a promise to myself. This is what I'm going to do no matter what, no matter how tired, (laughs) how hurt I am. Yeah. I personally did. Yeah. I personally wasn't on the Kobe side. Like if my body felt absolutely terrible, like I really wouldn't go and lift. And if I did, it'd be really light. But most of the time we'd have like, we'd have two a day in our pro season. So in the morning you go lift. And then maybe you go in the gym and do a servant pass for an hour, okay. or maybe you would just lift. And then in the afternoon, you'd have your evening, like evening practice. There was usually time to actually do both. Like you could get your lift in, recover, and then go and practice at night. Yeah. So I go two, three days a week. Sometimes I go four. Like I was really trying to get like more strength because I've always been a skinny guy. So I want to get a little bigger. So I'd nice. more. <laughs> There's nothing else to do when you're over there. Nothing else to do. Yeah. You're bored. Yeah, like, you're, you're pretty I, bored over there. I didn't have a smartphone. You know, I had like the little like flip phone that they gave you in the country oh, with man. the, with the SIM card. And you're just like, I, I think it was downloading movies. Yeah. So that's when I learned to love coffee, like Sweden. <laughs> all you do is sit around all day the and drink coffee. For coffee. <laughs> all day. They drink coffee. So like five times a day, man. When I was in Finland, man, they always were trying to get coffee. I was like, holy moly. I was like, I drink like maybe a cup every other day. They were like, we got to get three, four cups of this coffee in, man. I was like, do your thing. And those are the guys with jobs. You're like, I'm playing volleyball three hours a day, and then there's nothing else to do. So I might as well stay here and have a fourth cup. Yeah. I'm not not doing anything else until practice. Like, why not? You know? Yeah. It's wild. I learned to love coffee out of boredom. I did. I I was pretty lucky with uh, where I had, you know, like in Sweden, I was kind of in the middle of nowhere in Vingåker. Yeah. Uh, it's literally yeah. called uh, Wingfield is is the name of it. And the 70 percent of the t- of the town's power came from windmills. Uh, and what? people were like, wait, where do you because when I say like, yeah, I play in Sweden, you know, I play in the, in the pro league and half of Sweden doesn't know that there's a pro volleyball league. And then they're no. like, oh, well, OK, what city are you in? And I was like, Ving Oka. And this, it always got the same, Ving Oka? Like, why yeah. are you there? They literally said, why are you there why by the saying the name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why are you in the middle of nowhere? Any of the locals, they always know the location. They're like, why would you go there? They're like, you came from America. Why would you do that? They'd be so mad. <laughs> They're paying me to be here. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. Did and I get you, to play volleyball uh, all day and lift. Like, it's great. How'd you like Norway, though? Because I went to play a team there, and it was really. Cool. I really love Norway. You know, Norway, sweet. The, the the months that we're there, it's like you don't get to experience their spring or summer. So it's there's five hours of daylight the entire time you're there. So that yeah. it takes a toll on you. <laughs> you know, it's cold, it's snowy. Yeah. Um, but as a city, I loved Oslo. I I thought Oslo yeah. was just an awesome city to be a part of. Their public transportation system was easy, and I had a car, yeah, so amazing. it was like a choice. And Our it was really cool. And, is amazing. and everyone there's happy. They're they're good. They while I was there, they had an emergency surplus of money. So their government literally said, Hey guys, we have too much money. We have to have an emergency meeting to figure out what to do with it. And I was like, You don't hear about that what? in the US. <laughs> yeah, no way. No way. We're always running out of money. We're out of deficit. Always. <laughs> like, so that's God. crazy. Yeah. And I did no, snowboarding, I, I did skiing that. and stuff. So it was that's sweet. Yeah. Um, pretty easy life. It, it's not a hardcore professional league. Like there are a few teams that yeah. get to a level where they compete against the other the other countries, but our team was always like fourth. In Croatia, we we're we we're like the top team in Croatia. Um, but Sweden nice. and Norway were hovering hovering around like third to fifth or sixth, somewhere around there. 
depending. I love Norway. I went I went on a trip. We went to play a team and called I think it's Forde. Like it's like Ford and then you have yep. to eat. Forde. Yep. Ferde. Yeah. yeah. So we went yeah, Ferde, however they say it. And we went to play against them and they were like, Yeah, we actually don't get paid. Like we all work in the city. We don't get paid to play. I was like, What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, y'all actually don't get paid. They're like, nope. They're like, we don't get paid. And they were in Challenge Cup. They were in a European competition. Like, we Yeah, they them. pride like, themselves so much on that. That club specifically. Um, and Nyborg yeah. is also another club that's always, well, this is 10 years ago, I guess now. But they're always high up in the ranks. And like they're yeah. priding themselves saying, like, we do it without pro players. You know, every other team had somewhere between like one and four pro players but they would recruit they would take people they're like nope we got the hookup with jobs we got the hookup with careers so they would take players from other clubs and they'd say we'll give you a good solid job job. and you can play volleyball and they kind of like that better because they didn't see volleyball as like a dever to like make money in norway if they wanted to stay there yeah they wanted to stay yeah it would be kind of like you know the pro league right now in the u.s like pro league like they could do it that way if somebody had a hookup with a company that had like easy cushy jobs and they're like hey come play for my pro team i'm not gonna pay you for that but i'll teach you finance or real estate and you'll have light hours and and learn how to make money so it's possible i definitely do that but yeah i i played those four years and overseas was amazing got to go to over 10 countries and ended up having pretty good finishes and then just to help people understand the way that it works with playing national team and pro as you know you go overseas for about eight months which is basically about the school year so you go to overseas from fall all the way to like the end of spring you come home for the summer it was was it like that for you too yep so you play basically you play a pro season um during the school year and then you come home in the spring and you come home at the end of spring and then you play national team during the summer. So during those three or four months. So I spent five summers with the U.S. national team from 2014 to 2018 and ended up playing in like training mostly. But I played in USA BB Cups against Japan and Brazil, played against played in the Pan American Games in 2015 in Toronto, Canada. And we played a bunch of played against a bunch of teams, Argentina, Cuba, Canada, played against a bunch of teams there. Played in uh the Pan Am. I think I played in like two Pan one or two Pan Am Cups. Um one of them for sure was in Mexico City. Played against Mexico and Canada and a few other teams there. So I played in a few like international competitions, but they were local. And then after that, after my season in Romania. I definitely decided that I was like, all right, I'm good. Like I'm done playing professionally, like physically, my body is like in a lot of pain. I'm definitely ready to shut it down. I had kind of a similar conversation. Like I was on my fifth or sixth cortisone shot. I was like, my shoulder wouldn't swing itself anymore. I was like throwing my chest and my arm would follow (laughs) like in a very limp-wristed kind of way. And I was like, man, I can't get any more juice. Like there's always like a different nagging injury. And at the same time, I was kind of pushing the envelope for AVP during the summers. And there are a few guys who had done already what I had done, like Ty Trambley, uh, Casey Patterson. Casey Patterson played in Sweden before me. And I messaged those guys before I knew their name. Well, before they knew my name, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, what made you stop playing indoor? Am I making the right decision? And Ty Trambley was like, well, I was tired of coming back every year. And the guys who I was beating last year are now beating me. He's like, all these, I like beach better. And 
the people who are at the same level, they're getting more reps than me. And I'm just getting like kind of a little tired and beat up from indoor and I'd rather yeah. be better at beach, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm just like, ah, oh, that's, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <Where> <laughs> See that? But that was my kind of call. It was like, all right, you know, bodies, it's breaking down hard and I do love beach volleyball. And if I were going to have control over my future, which, which would I have control yeah. of more? And I felt like I could control my destiny more through beach. And that was why I made the choice to stop indoor, I guess. You were, yeah. And you played beach every summer. So you actually had the experience. You knew what was going on. So it wasn't a guessing game. I definitely was kind of deciding which route I wanted to take. But yeah, I had, I had those same things. Like I still had the issue with my back that I dealt with in college. And I jump a lot as a middle, so knee problems, rolled my ankles a lot, like anything you can name. I had shoulder, tore the labrum while I was playing pro. Like I've done, had a lot of different injuries while I played. But I mean, I'm one of the few people I know who's actually played consecutively for 14, 15 years. Like ever Oof. since my freshman year of high school, I never actually took a year off. Good for you. And so, yeah. So but it's like me. pro athletes are healthy, right? <laughs> like we're supposed to be like the healthiest. It's like, no, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're the body's, most run down, like, beat up, or 50 years crippled. Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Body's 50 yeah. years old right now while you're 25, you know? That was like my indoor and then a little bit of beach. Just playing national team five years, pro playing pro four years overseas. And then came out of it and decided I wasn't going to go overseas again. And so decided to start playing beach again with Chris. It was like right on time. We were like, yeah, let's let's commit to it again, like we did in college and see what happens. Mm. And that was like one of the hardest, one of the hardest years in transitioning for sure from indoor into beach full time. And uh, that, what was the hardest that part about year it? was a grind. I'd say the hardest thing was one, moving effectively in the sand. Because like mm -hmm. balancing in the sand was probably one of the hardest things for me, and getting down, especially with my knees, was like a headache. Ah, uh, so like short, short say, balls and stuff like that. Yeah, like like moving around, jumping, getting low on the block, and then uh, like passing. Passing was hands down probably the hardest skill to transition and then making the little moves off the block was like mm. a big thing for me and that's i mean and hand setting is a completely different beast <laughs> <laughs> hand setting is super tough but yeah it was basically like learning how to play volleyball all over again to be completely honest like that was really how i could put it in a nutshell if you were to, to, like to redesign the training that you did and you like you had to give yourself a two-month block of what drills you would do the absolute most because you know you could design it full outright you have any number of coaches and players that you want what yeah. would you focus on in a short fast amount of time that would get you as as close to your peak as you could get in a one or two month period you know would you just just do um, passing would you just do setting would you do sprints yeah. or agility yeah as far as the conditioning aspect I didn't, I didn't really like condition too much unless we kind of had it scheduled in because me and Chris stepped on the beach. You guys know we lived on the sand. So we'd step on the sand like 7 a.m. and walk off until 11 or 12 noon. Ooh. We did that like four or five days a week. It was full commitment. It was like indoor style commitment. Like we played sometimes six, seven days a week, just trying to get ourselves in better condition. And then also just trying to make sure that we got as much training and touches as possible. Mm -hmm. But if I create a system 
for me personally, because I know my skills are different than other people's, I would have probably spent a lion's share of my time on passing and setting. Serving was fine. Blocking was a little bit rough, but it was serviceable. And then offense was actually the thing that I came in with like not having too much of a problem with. And I heard that a lot of beach players, the offense was the last thing to transition. And for me, offense was like the first thing to transition over. I could walk on the sand and score. I think what you did so. well right off the bat that I think more people should probably do coming from indoor, you didn't try to create a beach offense for yourself. Like I think some bigger guys or anybody who's hit, they're like, I'm on the beach yeah. now. So it's all about shots. And it's like, wait a second, you just spent the last 15 years <laughs> pounding against pounding two balls. and three guys. Like, why would you yeah. try to like create a beach offense? Like go like the guys from the Netherlands and just yeah. detonate, you know? And I, I think yeah. you did that super well. And you were effective off the net, on the net, getting over guys. And you didn't need to do what so many people think they need. Oh, I need a cut shot. Oh, I, I need a consistent high line or even a jumbo. Like, yeah. Dude, if you're yeah. above six six, don't <laughs> hit a jumbo ever in your life. <laughs> go hit, man. Go yeah. hit. I always tell people that. I'm like, go hit. If you're hitting your thing, like walk in hitting. And that's the thing. Like, I'm very if anybody knows me, um, we play against each other, you see me play. Like, I'm very terminal with my offense and I'm willing to I'm willing to make errors like trying to score. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing that I always did my entire career, whether I played some middle or whether I played opposite. I went to bang balls. If the block was in front of me, I was okay with getting blocked. If the block was in front of me, I'm trying to either hit around or I'm trying to hit off the block to score. That was the most important thing to me. I don't want there to be any questions about whether I went to try to score or not. So that was the first thing that transferred over and I didn't worry about it. But to your plan, for sure, passing and setting, those were the hardest things for me to transition because I didn't walk in as an outside hitter who got to work on my platform. My oh yeah. Or walk in. And the thing is like, I feel like personally as an outside hitter, it's hands down like the best indoor position because you have to do every single skill on the court. There's no right. skill that you miss. So working like, especially as a new player, like working on passing, if you're not already a natural passer and working on hand setting because hand setting is like so important. You need to be able to put the ball where you want to with your hands. The girls can get away with bump setting. I've seen it. And girls are hand setting more now, but oh, yeah. girls just have more, I feel like more natural platform control. So they can get away with bump setting their entire career, to be honest. And I also um, think they kind of they kind of had to, like from indoor as well, you know, guys were able to use their fingers. And I think that that sort of transition yeah. happened where you see females come out a little bit. I'm not saying that they're they're worse at it. I'm saying they come out of college worse at yeah. it because the ball is going straight at their belly buttons. For guys, a flat yeah. float serve is coming across our eyes because of the height of the net. So we're used to like yeah. using our fingers, grabbing it, and chucking it. So we might be slightly yeah. better at overhand hard-driven defense because we've done it so much, you know? Um, yeah, and they're better at platforms because, man, they've been platform passing. You're not – I mean, some coaches don't even like let their girls use their fingers in indoor – they're just like use your feet no. get your platform on it yeah so they're so good at passing and holding their angles amazing amazing at passing i trained so many girls and their platform passing is so much better than oh. mine they're just so very good control understanding placement how they use their platforms very accurate and i mean i don't think at the younger age most most girls aren't usually strong enough to use their hands anyway if, if they do step up 
a lot of the balls go through their hands. It's not to be disrespectful. It's just how the game works. Hard flat serves go through hands if they're loose. So, yeah, for me, passing and setting were the big things. And then we got into, like, blocking. But that two-month block for sure was a lot of passing and a lot of hand setting because those are, to me, those are the most important skills. Can't do anything without them. Like, like without those, exactly. doesn't matter how good you your defense is, doesn't matter how good your block doesn't is, matter. at some point, you're going to need to convert. Yeah, you got to have that that platform. And so, like, with my hitting, I came out, I was like, I'm going to hit. Like, I don't care. I'm going to hit and I'm going to deal with the consequences or the successes of that. Later on, like, once I got a few months in and I understood what my hitting could do, I actually only would train shooting. So I'd only train mm. high line, jumbo, cut shot, all the stuff that you said. I would actually only come into training and work on those things because I knew that I could step into the game and bank the ball. So I would, man, get rid of your jumbo. High line, all right. But like, I would call your high line just like slap over a block. I wouldn't even call it a high line. I would, I would never tell you to hit a it high line. I would say slap over a block. <laughs> and then I would just say yeah. like hit sharp cross. Like I wouldn't even call it a cut. Like yeah. hit sharp cross or slap over them. You know, <laughs> if you're six was, two, yeah. you're six That's foot, you're five really five. All right, now you need a high line. <laughs> you need all those things. You're yeah. playing against, you're playing against bigger players. So I wanted, I understood that as beach and as you know, you must be completely well-rounded because your opponent will eventually find your weakness, whatever that weakness is, they will find it. So I would always go into training, trying to work on my weaknesses. I would go in and be like, I'm not hitting a ball today. I need to pass every ball. I need to, I need a handset off of all your pass, stuff like that to where I was like, I need to shore up all my weaknesses. I need to learn how to do the turn off the block and still be able to make a dig on a roll shot right next to me. Stuff like that. I just, Beach is a game of pushing to have zero weaknesses. That's just how it is. KJ, man, this is a good talk. <laughs> no good doubt, talk. Man. No doubt. Yeah. Good. I want to know how our people, how, when, and where our people can find you to, to take some lessons. Because I, I know you're doing a lot of lessons, a lot of coaching. You got a great Instagram um, that, that, that coaches Thanks. on its own. So how do we find you? Where do we follow you? If you're you're just looking for my regular personal account, it's Chris AJ1. So it's just like my name, K-R-I-S-A-J1. That's my personal account. And then if you're looking for my business account, you can go KJ Volleyball Coaching, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. All the same name, no guessing game, KJ Volleyball Coaching. And luckily, since there's nobody who creates a name like that, I have it in instagram tiktok and youtube and then nice. my website is generally attached to each one of those but it's christopher a johnson if you want to reach out or anything like that that's my website where i book my lesson things cool so, and where are you coaching been. would like when people fly into california this is who they should find oh yeah that's a good question so i actually we're coach, global i maybe. coach most yeah, we're all over the place. I, mean, I know you're all over the place too, Mark. You're coaching everywhere. So I, I'm based in Orange County. So I coach in like Anaheim and uh, like Irvine area. But I also come down to uh, to South Bay. So I come down to El Segundo and Redondo Beach and I coach indoor as well. So I coach indoor in South Bay and in Orange County. And then if you want to do beach as well, I coach in both of those places as well. I do both. I just get it by request. So I'm all over the place. <laughs> awesome. If you if you no think doubt. that you have a specialty, like something that, man, trust me, 
I will get you better at this. And I, and I, yeah. this is what I will hang my hat on for the rest of my coaching career. What would somebody go to you and, and what would you fix in, in my game that you would just um, knock out and that you actually love and enjoy to coach and, and teach and break down? To be, to be completely honest, it's, it's definitely passing. I get so many liberos and outside hitters that it's absolutely insane. And they all come to me to train passing. And passing was the thing that I need to work on the most. So actually, I studied passing the most. I taught the most people about passing and seen passing the most. That's the thing where I'm like, all right, I'll hang my hat on teaching you how to pass. And then the side note is hitting because everybody knows that I freaking hit balls. So <laughs> you want to come to me? Yeah, like side, the side note is hitting. Like I get a decent amount of people for hitting, but I get a lot of phone calls from parents who are like, we need to do libero outside passing. And I've made, I've helped a lot of people become a lot better at passing. So that's the thing I hang my hat on secondary is hitting, which is funny. Nice. That's awesome. That's great. So, hey, guys, if you're in L.A., if you're in Redondo, if you're in Orange County, California, or, you know, if you just want to reach out and, and get some advice from him, you can uh, hit him up at KJ Volleyball Coaching on pretty much all social media. And uh, he just gave you the open invite. So don't be shy about sending any messages. And, dude, great talking to you. Thanks for the convo. No doubt, man. Mark, thanks for having me on. Like really good show around here, really good podcast, sandcast, however you want to call it. Um, I see all your videos, man. Like better at beach is growing big, man. You got like fifty plus thousand followers now, and I think everybody likes what you're doing. So keep doing your thing. It looks big. I like it. Appreciate that, man. Well, hopefully we'll get another fifty thousand thanks to you being on the podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) You got man, you get it for sure. Thanks for having me on. Love it. All right. And tell Later. Brandon I said hello too. I will. I will. Right, we're, well, we're, we've been plotting how to get you on our on our next six man team. So you'll, you'll be you'll be getting <laughs> a text you got early, some work early to next do, summer. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you better you better send it as early as possible, and I'll see what I could do. All right. All right. Put it. You know, just keep us on the short list. We'll do. <laughs> all, all right. right Later, KJ. Nice guys. What a cool episode that was. It's always it's always fun to hear people's different paths, right? So me and Chris, we ended up, we both played indoor, we both played beach and we had completely different paths. And one of the things that I'm always telling everybody is you can learn from somebody who is at the same place as you, because when, in order to get to the same place, you can take an infinite number of paths, which means that you see, you experience, you learn different things along the way to get to that final destination. So even though you're looking across the aisle at somebody who may have played at the same level, similar level as you, they have different things that they can teach you, right? Because they've seen different things, they've had different coaches and they can use different keys. And the more I I kind of train leaders and coaches, the more I learn from my coaches, the people that I'm training, the people that I'm guiding, I wanna learn from them because I know that they've seen different things. And that's, that's a really cool part I think about these conversations and this podcast that we have is that we can learn from each other because we've experienced different things and and we've seen different part of the games or came into it at different points. So really great conversation with Chris. Yeah. I don't know what to say other than that, but uh, guys, if you ever want to find us for clinics or camps, just remember that we have about 20 spots left in each of our camps this fall and winter. So they might be sold out by the time this podcast gets released. But if you're listening live, uh, definitely head over there. Uh, If you're looking for any 
skill courses. All you guys need to do is head on over to betteratbeach.com, click on that little button that says online courses and coaching and know that if you want your game to be looked at, your strategy, your skills, your lifting technique, we're there. We meet twice a week with you and we actually work on your film. So you can choose to just get our membership, which has all of our skill and strategy courses, or you can choose the upgraded membership, the complete player program, where we literally work with you twice a week on Zoom calls and we are studying your film, your technique, your videos and giving you guidance and uh, would love to have you as part of our group. If you're listening live on October 1st, our 21 day athletic foundations live course kicks off. So if you're looking to start lifting and getting in great shape this fall. Uh, we're starting on October 1st. We're doing a live group where we have a 21 day fitness and nutrition challenge. And you can learn all about that by checking out betteratbeach.com forward slash foundations. And if you, this is a popular course of ours. We have 53 practice plans, all with videos and minute to minute laid out practice plans. And you can always go ahead and download that at betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans. But Aside from that, always reach out, Better at Beach Volleyball. You can find us on Instagram, or you can just send an email to support at Better at Beach and uh, reach out. We'll be happy to hear from you and any questions. And if you think that there's anybody that we should have on the podcast, or maybe you want to be a guest yourself, go ahead and reach out. We would love to hear from you and uh, make our scheduling lives easy. All right. Hope you guys are having a great day. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the sand.